0: May the words that I speak in the meditation of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Friends, I have to start my message today with uh, kind of a true confession moment. Yeah, true confession. A couple of months ago, I got a speeding ticket. Yeah, it's me. I broke the law. They got my picture. (laughs) Right down Frank Lloyd Wright going way too fast, and yeah, they caught me, and I'm going to have to take a driving class (laughs) so I don't get the points on my record. But I was guilty as charged, and I admit it. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the law. We're not going to focus so much on the law in relation to society and government and all of that. That's coming in a few weeks when we get to Romans chapter 13. But today we are in Romans chapter 7, the first part of the chapter. And we're taking a look at our relationship to God's law. What is our relationship to the law of God? Of course, God's laws are are found uh, throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, but they're summarized most succinctly in the Ten Commandments. The first three talking about our relationship to God and the, the last seven talking about our relationship to each other. We certainly need to say when we think about the law of God that it is not a bad thing. Even the laws of the land are not a bad thing if they serve society, if they serve to protect us, and so on, and we obey them for our good benefit. Likewise, the law of God in itself is good. It is. The law in itself is good. Paul even said that in our text for this morning in verse 12, the epistle lesson for today. He said in verse 12, So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. And we ought to approach God's law as something that is good for us. But we also recognize that the law has its limitations. Let's be clear about what the law is. First of all, it is God's expectations of how we are to live our life. He lays out for us how we are to live. He sets the standard. And when we compare our lives to the law of God as we read it in the Scriptures, it's like looking in a mirror. And the mirror shows us ourselves. It shows us all of our flaws, all of our failings. Here's God's expectations and we end up right about here or worse. And the law is very honest to point out how far short we've come. And then the law does its job, doesn't it? It convicts us and it condemns us as sinners. It's supposed to do that. That's its job. But that's all it can do. The law cannot save anyone from their sins. It simply convicts us. And in the first half of Romans 7, Paul even goes even even further about the law and tells us that the law even stimulates more sinning. Listen to what he says here in, in these verses. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature... The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. That's the result of sin. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? No, certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, Do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. So the law does a job, but obviously the law alone is not sufficient. But how true it is, huh? That when we have the laws laid out for us, our human tendency is to rebel against them. To do just the opposite. Yeah, I admit to drive too fast. (laughs) That wasn't the first time I've gotten a speeding ticket. (laughs) And you know what? I haven't sinned only once either. Our human nature is to rebel against the laws of God as well. Now next week we're going to hear a lot more about that inner struggle that we all face when we get to the second part of Romans 7. But today's question is this. How can anyone... Be free from the law's condemnation. How can anyone be free from the law's condemnation? We're all sinners. We're all convicted. We all stand condemned by the law. How can we be free from it? Well, interestingly, Paul uses an illustration from marriage to make a point for us in our text this morning. He talks about the fact that you know when you're married, you are bound to the law of marriage that requires you to be faithful to your spouse. You're not free, because of that law, to go and take another spouse. That would be adultery. But, if your spouse dies, then you are freed from that law, that requirement. You're free then, if you choose, to marry another person. Well, he takes that illustration and applies it to our relationship to the law of God. That before we knew Christ Jesus, the law condemned us and we were bound to be condemned by the law. But once we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer bound to that. We're bound to the cross of Christ. Listen to the way he says it in in verse 4. He says, So, my brothers, You also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. You see, what he's saying is that by faith in Jesus Christ, we're no longer bound to the condemning law of God. We are now bound to the Jesus and to his cross and empty tomb. We are connected to Jesus' death and resurrection through our baptism and through faith in him. And because we're now connected to him, we've been set free from the other. We've been set free from the condemnation of the law. For Jesus Christ was condemned in our place. Think about what he said from the cross as he hung there in misery. Father, my God, my God, why have You forsaken me? In that moment, He was experiencing the full condemnation of all of our sins and the sins of the whole world. He was being damned by the Heavenly Father in our place. And because Jesus willingly took the condemnation for us, there was no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ. Sin's punishment was paid in full at the cross. And so freedom from the law's condemnation comes only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. At the cross, forgiveness is made ours. And at the empty tomb, eternal life is assured to all who trust in Him. And victory is ours, victory over even hell. When Jesus came into this world, he established a brand new covenant with his people, a brand new relationship with his people. It was a covenant established in his blood, blood shed on the cross for your sake and mine. And this new covenant is the very new covenant that the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah foretold as we heard in that first reading for this morning. And as a part of his words, he said in chapter 31, Quoting God, he said, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. The heart of the new covenant, you see, is the accomplishment of your salvation and mine through Jesus' death and resurrection. And as we experience that forgiveness personally, as we trust in Jesus as our Savior, it becomes something that makes a, makes a brand new person of us. We experience that forgiveness of Jesus as we hear that good news message on a regular basis, which is why, friends, we need to spend time in this Word regularly. Not just to hear the commands of God, but more importantly to hear that gospel message, the good news of our forgiveness. Likewise, we experience the personal forgiveness of Jesus as we remind ourselves every day that we are baptized children of His, forgiven and washed clean in our baptism. And we experience personal forgiveness every time we come to the Lord's table and receive the body and blood of our Savior Jesus present in and with and under that bread and wine in a miraculous way for the forgiveness of our sins. That's how we experience it personally. And that has a powerful effect on how we live. Peeking ahead just a little bit into Romans chapter 8, listen to what Paul also said. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes on, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And St. Paul makes it clear in our text for today that in Christ, you see, we have been released from the law of condemnation. He says in in verse 6, But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law. Released from the law. Released from the law's condemning power. A beautiful example of someone who is released from the law's condemnation was that woman that we heard about in today's Gospel reading from John chapter 8. Jesus was teaching in the temple courts in Jerusalem one day when some of the teachers of the law and some of the Pharisees brought to him a woman who had been caught in adultery. Dragged her before him. They made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Of course, they were trying to set a trap for Jesus so they could accuse him of wrongdoing and put him to death. But then we're told in the text that Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. We're not told what he wrote. But I have to wonder if maybe Jesus, as he's listening and looking at these accusers, didn't write words in Aramaic. Maybe he wrote arrogance, pride, hatred, lust, dishonesty. Who knows what he wrote? But they kept questioning him, and then Jesus said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And he stooped and he wrote on the ground some more. Maybe a few more words of sins. And what happened? One by one, the people dropped their rocks and began to leave. And interestingly, the text in John 8 tells us It was the oldest ones that left first. You have to think about why the oldest ones left first. Because they had the longest record of sins, no doubt. And they knew it right away. I certainly don't have a reason to throw a stone. And there, the woman was in front of Jesus all by herself. And he says to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one... Condemned you? I well imagine he not only looked straight into her eyes, he probably looked straight into her soul, saw the pain, saw the shame, saw the regret. She replied to his question, No one, sir, no one. And then Jesus' response is one of pure grace. Then neither do I condemn you, he declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. We're not told anything else about this woman. But I have to believe she must have responded to what Jesus did and said. How do you think she responded? Maybe more importantly is to ask, how would you have responded to Jesus' grace and forgiveness? I really have to believe that that woman left her life of sin behind and started down a brand new path, a brand new life, one that honored God out of a a sense of gratitude and thanksgiving for what she had experienced through Jesus. What was her motivation for making any kind of change? Was it the law? No, it was the gospel, it was the good news. It was God's grace and mercy that gave her both the motivation and the empowerment to live the kind of life that honors God. And I think this is what St. Paul is writing about in verse 6 of our text. He says, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Friends, you and I have been forgiven much also. Let's admit it. And it's a lot more than traffic tickets. We have been forgiven very, very much. And it's that good news of God's forgiveness that motivates and empowers us also to live a brand new life. It's the gospel message that gives us a new way of, of thinking about doing the right thing. Uh, the way I like to think of this is that it takes us from have to to want to. Prior to knowing Jesus and His forgiving grace, it was all about have to. I have to do this. Under the threat of the law, I have to do this. But with Jesus' forgiveness and grace, it now becomes, I want to to do this I want to do this out of gratitude for what he has first done for me I want to live a life that honors him out of thanksgiving for his mercy and grace and forgiveness and love he transforms us from the have to's to the want to's in our Christian living and so let me ask you how will you honor God this week in all that you do? Will you honor Him in your family life, at home? How will you honor Him in your marriage if you're married? How will you honor God in your work setting? How will you honor God among your friends? How will you honor God in your relationship to children and grandchildren? And you children, how will you honor God in relation to your parents this week and to your teachers when you go back to school shortly? And how will we all honor God this week in our life of discipleship, in our life of prayer, worship, devotion, of growing closer to our Lord Jesus? witnessing for Him, spreading the good news to others. You see, in the love of Jesus, He gives us a whole new reason for doing all those things. We no longer do it because we have to. We do it because we want to. We want to honor God who has forgiven us so much. And in this way, friends, you see, we truly have power over the law. That is power over the law's condemning force. In Christ, friends, you are no longer condemned. In Christ, you are now free to live for God because you truly want to do it from your heart. So I would just encourage you to have fun in that. Yes, have fun in wanting to do the right thing. For in that is true joy. May the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus who has set you free. Amen.